Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom so that you can develop unshakable inner peace and live a liberated life. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, founder, head coach, and trainer over at Zen Stoic. Be sure to follow me on social at victor.zenstoic for updates, content, and to ask me directly your most important questions. Let's get into the show. So in this episode, we are doing a continuation of our Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path. This is part seven. This is integral awareness. Originally, it is called right mindfulness. And we're going to get into the differences in this episode. But before I begin this story, the reason why we want to discuss awareness is because of the importance that awareness can bring into our lives. And so I'll begin by sharing a story of my journey of how I came to learn this. It was not an easy journey whatsoever, but it was one of the most profound lessons that I have ever experienced in my life, and one that is pivotal in my own personal development and growth. So throughout a lot of my journey in personal development, I would often go to seminars, I'd read books, I'd have coaches, and I ended up developing this habit that I didn't realize was a bad habit, and it was the habit of toxic positivity. Now, I didn't think of it as toxic positivity at the time. I just thought of it as I have a positive outlook and mindset, and so I'm just going to look on the bright side with everything and find the silver lining in everything that comes my way, no matter how bad or how much attention I need to give to the realness of the situation coming in. I'll just be positive instead. So I went with that, and what I ended up doing was actually doing a lot of emotional bypassing. I wasn't allowing myself to feel the negative feelings or the unpleasant feelings. Instead, I would just look on the bright side and immediately find the positive side of the equation. Now, that wasn't working for me, and I ended up getting a little disenchanted with that approach. And so then I decided to turn to stoicism and to really gain control of my emotions. Not, not bypass them, but gain control of them and then practice the objective indifference to my reality, right? I would be indifferent. I would, you know, allow myself to you know, experience seeing or observing the emotion. And then I would just decide to myself that I wasn't going to indulge in the unpleasant feelings. I wasn't going to stir up in those feelings. And that didn't really work either. <laughs> and the reason how, the reason I knew it wasn't working is because somehow, some way, these things kept coming up in my mind, right? I'd have repeated thoughts of negative experiences. I'd replay uh, negative experiences of my life or unpleasant experiences. And then I'd also have physical pain, which at the time I had no idea was actually linked to the emotions that I was feeling. And this was actually one of the biggest indicators that I wasn't feeling my feelings. Now, what's really interesting and something that I've learned is that because I had chronic pain from the age 11 to 30 years old, I didn't realize that that chronic pain was actually linked to my emotions and my inability to actually feel them. So this is how I discovered it, because like most people, I thought to myself that the pain that I was feeling was something physical. It had to be physical. It was in my body. Um, maybe it was from damage that I had done to my body through training martial arts and maybe not warming up properly or Maybe it was because I wasn't eating right and I was causing inflammation in my body. I, these are all the things that I would go through when I would feel pain. But what was really interesting is that in 2021, I, well, actually it started in 2020, but in 2021, I had realized and I had gotten diagnosed with a herniated disc. And so when I had gotten my MRI, I, it gave me some proof or some indication as to why the pain was what it was. 
So I had this lower back pain that was just incessant. It would range from like a six out of 10 to a nine out of 10 throughout the day. And it would just kind of like oscillate in, in between those things. And when that I had gotten that diagnosis of the herniated disc, they said the L5 S1 disc is herniated. Now, at the time, I was talking with one of my friends, and she also had the herniated disc L5-S1. And we were talking about the book from Louise Hayes, Heal Your Body, and it discusses some of the psychological roots to disease as well as physical pain. And so she was saying that L5-S1 actually had to do with unexpressed anger. Now, for me, being this very positive, jovial person who always looked on the bright side and always found the silver lining in things, I thought to myself, well, there's no way that I have anger. That couldn't possibly be it. And also, my anger is certainly not linked to my, my pain. This is obviously a result of, you know, poor warm-ups and, you know, lack of recovery and training too hard and overtraining. And I had all these stories as to, like, where the pain was actually coming from. And then one night, while in contemplation, I had realized that I was angry. And I was angry at my own mother, which... This realization shocked me, but the, when it came to me, there was this instant resonance of truth that, like, this is absolutely it. And I was angry at my mother for getting sick and for dying. Now, for me, especially as a kid when that anger originated, I, that was so taboo to me. I, I thought to myself, like, there's no way I could be angry at a person for getting sick with cancer, and there's definitely no way I can be angry at a person who died, and I could definitely not be angry at my own mother. But this was the truth of my situation, and I had always denied it since I was five or six years old when it had originated. Now, the reason why this is so important is because instead of feeling angry, I didn't feel like I was actually allowed to feel those emotions. And so instead of getting angry in that moment, I actually felt guilty instead. I bypassed the anger with my own guilt by feeling wrong for even feeling those emotions. So a lot of the time, the emotions that we dissociate from are the emotions that we feel we're not allowed to feel. And so I felt angry at my mom. I didn't think that, that was right. I didn't think I was even allowed to do that. So instead, I would feel guilty. So the way that this actually played out throughout my life is that every time I'd have a situation in which I could have gotten angry or would have been appropriate to get angry or warranted to get angry, I would feel guilty instead. And I'd ask myself, well, what did I do? Even if somebody wronged me, what did I do wrong? And I would always put the blame on myself. Now, interestingly enough, guilt in the body, consistent guilt, actually diminishes our ability to heal. So it diminishes uh, the ability for our bodies to recover. And so when I'd feel guilty, not only was I not feeling my actual emotions, but I was also diminishing my ability to heal from the pain that I had. Now, at the time, when I had this realization, I was doing recovery exercises, mobility exercises that brought my pain from that 6 to 9 out of 10 down to like a 2 or 3. And sometimes it would go up to a 4 or 5 if I overexerted myself, but it, was, it would like kind of hum at a 2 or a 3. And the moment that I had that realization, the very next day, my pain went down to a 0. And it went down to a 0 because for the first time, I was actually feeling real my body. I was feeling what was alive within me. I became aware of my own emotions. And this is really key. The thing is, chronic pain is chronic dissociation from emotions. Chronic pain is a strategy of avoiding our emotions. It's an unconscious strategy that we run in our minds to avoid feeling what we're feeling. And when we think of things like, you know, the positive psychology or, or stoicism, 
there's not an emphasis on actually feeling our feelings. In some ways, it's like avoiding feeling our feelings or bypassing them in some way or being indifferent to them, which doesn't allow you to actually feel them. And what we resist will persist because the whole purpose of emotions are to signal us something, right? Whether they're positive or negative, right? I don't typically categorize them that way. I'll look at emotions as pleasant or unpleasant. And unpleasant emotions are the ones that we typically don't allow ourselves to feel and we attempt to bypass them. So by bypassing those feelings, we are not getting the signal of what that emotion is intending to communicate to us. And because we don't get that signal, the emotion persists. The way you can think of it is like this. What, what we resist persists. What is fully felt will melt. So when we fully feel our emotions, they'll go away. Emotions come in kind of like a bell curve, right? They'll come in, they'll peak, and then they'll go away. But if we stop them, if we resist them before they hit their peak, then they're just going to become stuck. Now, how does this affect the actual pain in our body? How does this actually create pain? Because every time we resist an emotion, every time we deny an emotion or attempt to bypass an emotion, we have micro expressions of muscles that tighten. So let's say, you know, I, I had experiences where I was feeling angry and every time I'd feel angry, I'd kind of like tighten my body a little bit, I'd tighten. And, and I would feel angry because that anger had not been processed nor had it been felt at any point. So every time I'd, I'd, I'd feel it, I'd resist and I'd tighten, I'd tighten, I'd tighten. And eventually I'd get into this hypnotic rhythm where my body would just tighten, tighten, tighten automatically without me having to think about it. And so the more we have those micro expressions of tightening of the muscles, the less blood flow goes to that area. And eventually we stop the blood flow and that creates the pain. Like the lack of blood flow is where we feel pain. And so when I had actually allowed myself to feel this emotion, I relaxed that muscle, the blood flowed back in and the pain was gone. Now this shouldn't be medically possible, but this is what has happened for me. This has happened with a lot of clients that I've done this type of technique with, where we relieve years or decades of chronic pain within minutes because we actually get in tune with the emotions. And that starts with having an awareness of the emotions, an awareness and an ability to feel our emotions. Or we are sentient beings. We are designed or made to feel. It is our nature to feel our emotions. And if we stop that, if we, if we detach from nature, then we detach from our own awareness. When we detach from our own awareness, we create pain. We perpetuate our own suffering. We don't allow ourselves to let things go. And so, you think about it like this, we want to look at it as chronic pain is chronic dissociation from emotion. We have a strategy that we're running not to feel. And so that emotion, until it signals what it wants to signal to us, we are going to feel it over and over and over again, potentially in the form of pain. Now, why is this so important is because one and a half billion people all over the world experience chronic pain. It is a $635 billion industry in medical expenses and lost work, which affects more people than heart attack, stroke, and cancer combined. So it is a big deal, and a lot of it is linked to our emotions. Now, how do you know if something is emotionally based? Well, generally speaking, it takes six to eight weeks for the body to heal from an injury or for, from something that has caused you pain. And if it takes longer than six to eight weeks, there are chances that it might actually be emotional. And so becoming aware of our own emotions and feeling what we're feeling is really key to this. So we talk about this idea of integral awareness. This is to first and foremost, being aware of ourselves, of our feelings. Now, the original 
translation of this in the Buddhist Eightfold Path is called right mindfulness. Now, right mindfulness can be a very complex topic where right mindfulness includes having mindfulness of the body, the bodily sensations, the different, uh, it could be pain, like in this case that we're talking about, could be just the somatic sensations of the body. It is also being aware of the body's limitations, right? The, the fact that the body is mortal, right? So part of practicing right mindfulness, if you look at it from the stoic lens, can also be the practice of memento mori, to meditate upon one's mortality. This is why the, a lot of Buddhist monks and Zen monks will often have a skull in their quarters to remind them of their own mortality and their temporary nature, right? Mindfulness is also to be aware of our feelings, our pleasant feelings, our unpleasant feelings, our neutral feelings, our worldly feelings, and even our unworldly feelings. So what's the difference between worldly and unworldly? Worldly feelings are the sensations that we have. They're the sensory experiences, things that we, that we experience through our five senses in a physical reality type of way. Unworldly feelings are feelings like equanimity, uh, the feeling of wisdom, the feeling of personal growth and realization. These are unworldly feelings. They're not necessarily felt through the five senses, but they are feelings that we can be aware of. The next thing that right mindfulness includes is the, is the mindfulness of our thoughts, right? Are we thinking in terms of kindness? Are we thinking in terms of greed? Are, is our thinking constricted or is it expansive? Are we focused or unfocused and drifting? So these are really important. The final of the four bases of right mindfulness are the dhammas. Now, the dhammas is a word of upholding the teachings of the Buddha. Now, this gets very complex in terms of what it includes, so I'm not going to necessarily go into it in this episode because this episode, we talk about integral awareness. So the, the change from mindfulness to awareness is that awareness is really that first step to mindfulness, right? We can't be mindful of that which we're not aware of. And so bringing awareness to our bodies, bringing awareness to our thoughts, bringing awareness to our emotions is really key in being able to understand and discover ourselves. Now, in the previous episode, we talked about integral effort, where we talked about being aware of your own intentions, right? Because we can be totally intentional for something or we can have a fragmented intention. So being aware of your intentions is also key, especially when you're experiencing any kind of challenge or difficulty in your life. Oftentimes, it's because we're unaware that we are being delusional in some way. And integral effort really shows us how our intentions can fragment, which can be really tricky, especially because we can be doing the right thing or the intentional thing in one aspect and then being delusional in another aspect. So being aware of your intentions is also really key. This episode, however, we're going to be really talking about being aware of your emotions, right? I learned this lesson because of all the physical, like literal pain that I felt because of an unawareness of emotions. Your emotions can be like a compass for you. They're not necessarily going to give you the answer, right? Emotions are going to be highly symbolic in terms of their signaling, right? They're not going to give you a literal answer and like say, do this or do that. And there are some people that listen to their emotions in that way and they allow themselves to be totally identified and controlled by their emotions. I have been this person as well. So when I say some people, I am people in this situation as well. Like I've certainly done this, but that's not what I mean when I say allowing your emotions to be a compass. We want to remember that the unconscious mind thinks in terms of symbols, right? It uses and responds to symbols. So it's not always the literal answer that an emotion is going to give you because the unconscious mind is the domain of the emotion. So if we think of the emotions as a compass, our emotions are signaling us something. And oftentimes that signal is symbolic. Now, Carl Jung, a lot of his work, he talked about symbolism in the mind and how we can use our unconscious symbols to help us have conscious realizations. So why is this all important? 
The reason being is because we'll not actually get these signals if we are unaware and unable to feel our emotions. And most people that I've spoken to, whether it's in coaching context or in my personal life, or just people that I've randomly ran into you know, throughout living my life, don't actually feel their emotions. And some do feel their emotions, some don't feel them to the capacity that they could. Now, when it comes to actual unpleasant emotion, unpleasant emotion will not clear from the system if we don't allow ourselves to fully feel and fully be present with it. So for me, that pain that I was feeling in my back from the herniated disc, it medically should have been impossible for me to clear it as quick as I did. But because I allowed myself to fully feel the feeling, the muscle that was tightened and holding on to that anger loosened and the blood flow came back in. So in order to be aware of our emotions, one of my favorite structures to do this is actually the structure from the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. So this book is more so talking about how to communicate, but we can actually use this structure to feel our feelings and to own our feelings so that they do not own us. This allows us to disidentify with the feelings and, and to actually observe the feeling mindfully to bring a sense of mindfulness to that feeling. So this is how the structure goes. It's very simple. There's a, it's a four-part structure. And the first part is that when you're in a situation that is creating some emotion within you, is to first observe the situation, make an observation. Like, I see this happening, or I hear this happening, or I feel this happening. Next is we want to go into what is the actual feeling that you're experiencing? What's the emotion that you're feeling? Now, this is where a lot of people get tripped up, and I'm going to give an example in just a second. Following that, we want to own the feeling, take ownership of the feeling, take responsibility for the feeling by expressing what it is that we need. And then lastly is making a request to fulfill that need. So this is how it typically will go down. Most of the time when we're communicating, we're not actually expressing what we feel or what we need. What we are actually doing, according to Marshall Rosenberg, is we are typically expressing criticisms, value judgments, and opinions when we're communicating so our communication isn't actually clear. It's totally fragmented and unable to actually get to get the message across in a way that the other person can understand and nor get the message across in a way that we are fully understanding our own feelings in that situation. So what's really important is that when you're using this model of nonviolent communication, it's really important to understand what is called the critical faculty between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Now, the critical faculty is really important to note here because it allows us to actually do this properly in a way that we're going to be able to think through what we are experiencing. So this is, again, speaking to what is totally alive within us and simultaneously using our minds, using our thinking and reasoning, right, our, our rationality from stoicism to allow ourselves to move through this structure. So it combines multiple things and multiple layers into a single way of communicating that is going to be more effective for you so that you can feel your feelings, so that you can express your feelings to other people, and so that you can bring really uh, key awareness and mindfulness to what you're feeling. That way, your emotions are not going to be something that's totally nebulous, but instead, your emotions will be something that you can actually understand, and you can communicate, and you can turn into tangible actions, decisions, and expressions that you have in your everyday life. So, the critical faculty of the unconscious and conscious mind, you can think of as a wedge between your conscious and unconscious mind. This is the, the part of you or the part of the mind that when you are given something that is not true or something that seems silly or off the wall, that allows you to tell yourself like, no, that's not real, that's fantasy. However, we allow this part 
to essentially dissolve any time that we're watching a movie, any time that we're reading a book, right? If you think to yourself, if you ever watched the movie The Matrix and you see Neo dodging bullets, you don't say to yourself like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, there's no way that that can happen. You allow yourself to enjoy the movie. You allow yourself, your critical faculty to essentially dissolve so that you're able to enjoy the movie. And then, and when we do that, we allow our critical faculty to dissolve when we go into the symbolism of the mind. We allow ourselves to actually enjoy things like stories, movies, uh, cartoons, fantasies, any of that type of stuff. The reason being is because we've actually dimmed down the critical faculty. And so what we're doing in that is we're actually putting ourselves into trance. Now, trance is not not a bad thing. Some people have a, a strange association to it, and they think that it's a bad thing. They think it's they're being hypnotized, so to speak. And in some cases, that can certainly be it. Right? And that's, that's a different topic for a different episode. But trance is actually short for the, the term transderivational search, which means to go within. So the reason why we respond to movies and stuff like this in such a you know positive and profound way and why they really grab us emotionally is because they cause us to go within, right? And look for the symbolism that we're seeing on the movie. Now, why is this important when it comes to your integral awareness? Is because we want to use the critical faculty very mindfully and very intentionally. So oftentimes, the, re- the, the way in which we'll go into trance or the way in which we'll allow that critical faculty to dissolve is by actually speaking to ourselves and others or listening to others speak very ambiguously, talking about things uh, in in a very generalized way causes us to actually go into trance and dissolves our critical faculties. So we do this often with the way in which we express our emotions to ourselves or the way in which we use value judgments, criticisms, and opinions in our communication. So here's the example um, of how we might put ourselves into trance and how we might avoid feeling our emotions rather than actually doing a very mindful search for the emotions. So it might work like this. If you have a couple and one of them says, they never listen to me. I feel like they never listen to me. Or let's say I'll, I'll speak as one of the people in the couple. I feel like you never listen to me. Right? That phrasing, those words are very ambiguous. A couple things to note here. Number one, I feel like you never listen to me. Using the word never is a universal quantifier. And it is very ambiguous. So when we say things like that, we put ourselves into a trance. We put the other person into a trance because we're speaking very ambiguously. And because we're speaking ambiguously, the mind automatically will try to go in and find what that means. And so what this does is it not only puts us into a trance where we start to become very susceptible to the information coming our way or to the, the story that we're telling ourselves, but it also prevents us from actually feeling what we're feeling. Because instead of feeling whatever the actual emotion is, we're searching for what does it mean that I never listen to this person? Or what does it mean when I say that you never listen to me? Right? So this is really important to understand. can be a little bit complex. But the other thing to note is that you can't feel like someone's not listening to you. I feel like you never listen to me is a concept. It's an ambiguous concept. And you cannot feel a concept. You can only feel an emotion or a somatic sensation or an actual sensory sensation. So the way that nonviolent communication works is you would, instead of saying, I feel like you never listen to me, it could be, I make an observation. When you and I have a conversation and I ask a question and you give me a short answer, I feel hurt. 
right? Hurt is an actual emotion. I can feel hurt. I'm making an observation of what I'm experiencing. I feel like when, or when I, when I say something to you, you give me a short answer. You don't really, you don't really go into it. And I, and I feel hurt. Now, what that's doing is that's making an actual observation and it's stating an actual emotion that you're feeling rather than going into and attempting to feel a concept which you can't do. So it creates this dissonance in your mind where you don't feel the emotion and you put yourself in the trance and start to get lost in the sauce or lost in the story of what is being actually communicated. This is why when couples get into fights or when anybody gets into disagreement, what's typically happening is they're speaking very ambiguously and putting each other in trance and taking on each other's bullshit and not actually feeling any of what they're actually feeling and instead casting value judgments and opinions onto the other person and onto themselves for that matter. So back to the example, right? When we have conversations and I ask a question and you give me short answers, I feel hurt, right? I feel hurt. You, hurt is an actual emotion you can feel. Following that is what are the needs? What I need is for you to talk about what, what I'm asking with me. What I need is for you to tell me how you feel. I have a need for hearing how you feel about that information or hearing what you think about that information. And then last step, request. Can you do this for me when we are speaking? Can you do this for me when we're in conversation? All right, very different than I feel like you never listen to me. So instead of I feel like you never listen to me, we go into this, which we're going to create a lot more awareness with, which is it, it, when we're in conversation and I tell you something, you, I, I get very short answers. And when that happens, I feel, I feel hurt. What I need is for you to discuss these with me and to share with me what you think or what you feel about what I'm saying. Can you do that for me, please? Right? There's this structure, observation, feeling, need, and then request. So when we do this, we become much more aware of our own emotions. And remember, in order to become aware of our emotions, we need to separate the observation from the feeling. And we want to remember that you cannot feel concepts. You can only feel emotions. And if you don't allow yourself to feel the emotions and you speak in concepts like, I feel like I'm not taken seriously. I feel like I'm misunderstood. I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like no one listens to me. I feel like everybody doesn't like me or everybody loves me. Whatever you're saying, you can't feel any of what I just said. Everything that I just said there is a concept. So what we want to do is separate the value judgment of the opinion from the actual feeling itself. When we feel the feeling, that's when we begin to derive the wisdom that is contained within all the feelings. Our emotions can be like a compass for us. And if our emotions are like a compass for us, they point to the symbolism that exists in our unconscious mind that helps direct us. So for myself, this has been a really powerful tool for actually relieving physical pain in my body because I'm actually feeling what, what my emotions are, but also in getting the, the deep, innate, and profound wisdom that my emotions contain within them. Because all of your emotions contain deep wisdom that is very profound and unique for you because they are your emotions. So when we feel our emotions, we allow ourselves to feel the emotions instead of sticking to us, they move through us. And when they move through us, we're able to derive that wisdom. And that is key for our own personal growth and development. That's where we develop our innate wisdom because we're actually feeling our feelings and we're separating our opinions, our value judgments, and our concepts from those feelings so that we might actually feel them. So to summarize what we went through, we talked about the importance of feeling your feelings and how not feeling them could actually lead to pain. The other thing that we talked about is 
the original right mindfulness and the different things that you could be mindful of, which can be a very complex topic. Then we talked about the structure of nonviolent communication as a means of bringing awareness to your feelings. So again, make an observation that is objective, for, uh, you know, taking out all of your opinions and your feelings from it. So just simply make an observation, right? I observe this happening. I observe this circumstance. I observe this amount in my bank account. I observe this event, this current event. I observe this person saying this thing to me. Anything you can observe without judgment, without opinion. Then I feel, insert the emotion. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel sad. I feel happy. I feel joy joyful. I feel grateful. Insert the feeling. Then I need and express your need. Oftentimes, one of the biggest things that, that stops us or one of the biggest things that makes us feel alone and disconnected is the unexpressed needs that we have. And we often don't express our needs because we get in our own way by giving our opinions, value, judgments, and concepts instead of owning what we feel and expressing that need to really solidify that sense of ownership and what we feel. It's very important for us when, we're, when we become vulnerable and we share our emotions that we are witnessed in the expression of our needs, not that we keep our needs inside. So we express a need to own that emotion. And then finally, we end with a request so that the counterpart, the person that you're speaking to, or even yourself, like you can even request things of yourself, can do something about it, right? You can channel that emotion into tangible action, into decisions, into expressions. There's a really key quote from Carl Jung that I'll, I'll end with re regarding this, this summary of nonviolent communication, which is loneliness does not come from having no people but from being unable to communicate the things that seem important to oneself or from holding certain views which others find inadmissible. So that's where our loneliness and disconnection comes from. It comes from not expressing our needs. We can't express our needs if we first don't express what we feel. And so this is why it is so important to have awareness around the emotions. When you have awareness around your own emotions, you have the ability to actually not just own your feelings by expressing your needs, but actually being able to do something about them so that you may transcend your emotions and channel your emotions into constructive and meaningful ways of being. Integral awareness has been one of the most profound lessons in my own life. It has helped guide me when I didn't know what to do or when I felt lost. It has helped me realize a concept that I'll end with here called Amor Sincero. Now, Amor Sincero is inspired by Frederick Nietzsche's Amor Fati, and what it means is the love of sincerity. And this has been my own dharma, my purpose, is to discover this within myself and to follow it. And whenever I feel lost, Amor Sincero allows me to find myself by looking within. And Amor Sincero is love of sincerity for sincerity's sake, to it is, so it is to do and express myself sincerely, regardless of what is around me is to always turn towards sincerity, that my only strategy is the non-strategy of sincerity, that when I have something that I genuinely desire to do, I go and do it. And if I don't desire to do something, if I feel like I should do something, I don't do it. And the reason being is because when I genuinely desire to do something from a place of sincerity, then the process itself is satisfying and is an end in itself, the process of taking the action or saying the thing that is sincere within me. When I do something that I should do, or I should do, <laughs> or, or that I think I, I ought to do, then oftentimes my actions are only validated if I attain the outcome that I'm attached to. So it creates emotional attachment and frustration in the process. And when I follow my sincerity, that also includes being aware of what I sincerely feel, feeling my emotions, and allowing my emotions to be a compass, allowing the signals of my emotions to come through. The following of my sincerity has led to blessings in my life 
I didn't even know how to ask for, and yet I am incredibly grateful to be able to experience them. Things like having a relationship with the absolute perfect woman for me, being able to lead my business into a place where I'm training and developing liberation coaches to proliferate life-changing work in the world, and to having the most amazing friends I could possibly ask for, where I can be totally myself, totally playful, totally goofy, and that I can trust to always be there for me. This has been the path of sincerity. This is why Amor Sincero has become a way of life for me. And that way of life, that sincerity begins with an integral awareness on yourself, your body, your emotions, your thoughts, and allowing yourself to be totally aware of these things, allowing yourself to be open to that so that you may find your path. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found it helpful, definitely share it with a friend or comment below what you connected with most how you can use this in your everyday life. I look forward to seeing you on the next one.